Well, it's good to be with you this morning. Hey, if you guys don't know me, my name is Corey. I'm a pastor here at Third Street Community Church. And this morning, it is my honor and my privilege to be the one bringing forth the word to you. And you know me well enough by now to know that I'm especially and a little extra excited this morning because it's the very top of a brand new series. And I can't help it. I'm shameless in my love for brand new things. And so uh, this morning, we get to start a brand new series uh, called Philippians. So take a wild guess. The book of the Bible that we're going to be in. Just go ahead and guess. I bet you can't do it. No, Matthew, y'all tripping. No, we're going to be we're going to be in Philippians. We're going to read um, Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. Uh, another letter like the one that we just finished in Philemon, another letter that he writes from a jail cell that he writes from prison. He writes to a church of Philippi. Many scholars acknowledge this as the letter of joy. You know, Paul kind of gets this rep uh, of going around and kind of like convicting people into salvation, right? He tells people all the time, like, man, y'all tripping. Take that off, put this on. Put down this sinful stuff, put on love. Like he goes everywhere he goes, he convicts people, tells them everything that they're doing wrong and hopeful and, and hope that they'll turn to doing right. But in this letter, it's a little bit different because Paul, despite the fact that he's in prison, despite the fact that it's kind of his tone to be heavy handed, Paul is like low-key happy in his letter. And you're kind of reading parts of it and you're like, dang, Paul. Like you're like waiting for the other shoe to drop because he's just so nice about some things that you're like, and then I bet you're going to like kill me in like two verses. But he doesn't. It's his letter. It's his letter of joy. And you know what? This time of year, February in Ohio, it's cold. You know, there's this thing. There's seasonal depression. There's all this stuff going on. People are just in the house. It's tough. It's tough this time of year. Who doesn't need a little bit of joy? Amen. Who doesn't need a little bit of joy? And what I appreciate about Paul is that even though he's being nice, he's still keeping up with his brand in that he's like super raw and super real about this joy. It's not just joy, despite what the what the TikTok snippets of Philippians will lead you to believe. It's not just like these like feel goody two shoe, like, like, oh, like just just don't worry about it and just be in prayer. And then like you're supposed to magically feel better, even though that doesn't really work. It's not really like that because the parts that the parts that six second clips cut out and don't let you see is that Paul is fully acknowledging, hey, it's some real stuff going on and it's difficult out in these streets sometimes. And it's like, it's really hard to keep joy. This letter is written to a church and the reason it has such a joyful tone is because it's written to a church that he's very fond of. And so you can imagine the familiarity and the comfort that comes when you're talking to those who are closest to you. That's the energy with which Paul writes this letter to the church of Philippi. That's what we find in Philippians and we find it right from the top. So if you haven't already, go ahead and turn in your physical Bibles to the book of Philippians. We'll start in chapter one, verse one. And if you don't have your Bibles, it's okay because it's going to be up here on the screen. We're going to read together Paul's greeting this morning. These are the first 11 verses. We're going to start at the top. This is Philippians 1, verse 1. And Paul writes it this way. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy 
for all of you in my every prayer. Because of your partnership, there's that word, remember koinonia, remember, remember it's, this, isn't like, this isn't like, oh yeah, like we're teamed up on a group project, but like, nah, like we're real tight, right? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus indeed. It is right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart and you are all partners, there's that word again, with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. He really laying it on thick. Huh? And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to glory and praise of God. Man. This morning, as I pulled into our parking lot, I saw a woman who had backpacks and trash bags slung over her shoulder, and she was digging through the dumpsters. And as I pulled into my parking spot and I see this woman digging in our dumpsters, my first thought was actually of my two oldest daughters who would have looked at this woman and thought, oh, our outside friend. That's what they call, that's what they call them. I instantly thought of the days we packed cold weather care packs to keep in our cars because our girls wanted to be able to hand People, something helpful when, she, when they saw them <clears throat> staying outside. Man, I complain about my kids a lot. But that's beautiful. I love their souls, man. So feeling their empathy... I started looking around in my car for something that I thought might be helpful to this woman, knowing that there was nothing there. And by the time I looked up, she was gone. So then on my way into the building, I started wondering, when will it happen? When will it happen? At what age will the world finally get to my girls? to the point that they stop seeing people in dumpsters and on the side of highway exits as outside friends. And they start seeing them for the negative connotation that the rest of the world has for them. This morning, I was up on the stage, turning out the lights. Corbin came up to me and handed me a dollar. I said, what's this for? He told me it's for his offering. I told him he was supposed to text the number that he wanted to give. <laughs> Can you tell humor is my defense mechanism? <laughs> and he handed it to me and I thought to myself, at what age will it happen? At what age will he, will he look at this dollar and think, I could put this in offering or I could get myself something with it. At what age 
Will it all change? Will the world get to him? The cold reality is the same thing happens to us in our faith. We have a moment with Jesus where we feel gentle. And we feel gentle, we feel compassionate, we feel empathetic because we realize our own depravity and how even though we're a long way off, we're rescued, we're saved. We have this moment where it gets so bad, like Roz was saying, we start making these deals that God, if you rescue me, and then, and then he does it. But then as we go, the world gets to us. Our hearts become harder. Our reactions become harsher. And our love will say, hey, I don't care what you do or how you feel. Just keep it over there in your own community and don't infringe upon what I believe or what I'm doing. How in all that we face do we hold on to love and furthermore, Paul, to joy? Whew, it's tough. Paul's writing this letter of joy to the church that's grown in Philippi. And straight from the jump, he's addressing himself as a servant while he addresses his audience as saints and leaders in the church. I think it's fair to say that Paul is probably subtly trying to uh, suggest a mind shift change, a change in our mentality where we go from seeing ourselves to leaders and high accomplished status, whatever's to servants. I believe that he's suggesting this change because this change in our mentality is necessary in order for us to have the change in our hearts that he's going to go on and address for the rest of this letter. He doesn't want them to identify themselves by their accolade-driven perspective, what their society would say, but by the posture of humility, especially, folks, as it pertains to the humility we ought to have in relation to Christ. Because as good as you are and as good as I am, what have we done in comparison to Christ? But that will come in a few weeks. Paul remembers the church in Philippi finally. He's pretty clear about that, right? He remembers them finally. I believe that the church of Philippi is the church that when him and Timothy are like really tired, they've been, they, it's been a long day of travel. They've been preaching all over the place and they're so exhausted that they can't sleep. You know the feeling, right? You're just so tired that instead of just going to bed, you get just like a little bit slap happy. And I believe that Philippi is the church where they're like, where they're like, bro, hey, you sleeping? Nah. Hey, bro, you know what I was just thinking about? And they start giggling. He's like, what was you just thinking about, Paul? He's like, I was just thinking about that time in Philippi, bro. And then they both just start cracking up. They're like, man, that was wild. That was wild. Philippi was a crazy couple of days because it was. When you look at Acts chapter 16, you see the story of how the church in Philippi got started. So when he remembers them fondly, we get to see why he remembers them fondly. When you look at Acts chapter 16, Paul picks up Timothy. And they're trying to take the gospel over to parts of Asia, 
right? And then every time they try to reach a part of Asia, the Holy Ghost puts a block on them. And he's like, nah, fam, that's not the way for you. And they're like, but our friends are, he's like, well, if your friends are jumping off a bridge, are you going to follow your friends there too? No, let your friends go to Asia. You're going to go somewhere else. And they're like, where are we going to go? Right. So Paul goes to sleep after a long day one night and he gets this vision where a man, where a Macedonian man comes to him and says, help us. Right. And so Paul wakes up and he's like, hey, man, I'm not sure, but I think the Lord wants us to go to Macedonia. Right. I think I think that's what it is. And Timothy's like, that's weird. I was just dreaming of cupcakes and rainbows. But if that's what your dreams tell you, it's better yours than mine, I guess. But let's hit nothing but cakes along the way. Amen. So they start going to Macedonia as on their way into this region. As they're traveling, they come to the city of Philippi. And after a few days in Philippi, they go down to the river. And there at the river. Outside of the city gates, because there was no place acceptable for it inside the city gates. Outside the city gates, they see a group of women praying. And so they go over and they pray with the women. They minister to the women. And Acts 16 tells us that that day a woman named Lydia received the hope, the grace, the truth of Jesus Christ into her life. And as a result of Lydia's faith, Lydia's entire household, which is more than just like her immediate family. It's like all the people that she lives life with. It's like if you liked enough people in here to like live in constant community. It's like this weird little neighborhood that some of y'all building up there on like between like 18th and 25th. So many of y'all live in that range. Y'all got a weird little thing going on. But the entire household gets saved. The entire household gets baptized. The entire household is changed and opened up for more people to come in and hear uh, and hear about the love of Jesus because of Lydia's reception of the gospel. And then as if that wasn't enough, they keep on going in Philippi and they come across a girl who is a slave and she's demon possessed. And this particular type of demon possession allowed her the supernatural ability to tell the future. Now, I'm not saying that Miss Cleo was demonic. I'm not saying that. Some only a few of y'all old enough to know what I'm talking about. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that in this case, this demonic possessed woman was a fortune teller. Right. She was also a servant. And Paul got so sick of her coming around and doing all this demonic stuff that he was like, you know what? I'm done with it. In the name of Jesus, demon, get the heck out. And guess what happened? It did. Because even the most evil of things have to obey the name of Christ. But I don't have the time today. Listen to me. This woman is delivered from the spirit of oppression that was on her life. And she's now following Christ. Her owners, her slave masters, realize, dang it, this is bad for business because they had been making money off of this woman. So in order to get back at Paul for shutting down their lucrative business, they call the authorities. And they're like, yo, these people are disrupting our peace. These people shut down my business. These people are a threat to Rome. And so the authorities come and gather up Paul and Timothy and anybody that they were with. They beat them horribly and they throw them in the deepest parts of jail. But check this out. 
Check this out. I felt every part of what you were saying this morning, Roz, because in the deepest parts of the prison, they were not forgotten. And as they rose up and sang songs and hymns of praise to God, the earth began to shake. And as the earth shook, the walls of the jail fell and they were guided by a light right out of their imprisonment. And it wasn't just that, but the jailer who was tasked to give specific watch over Paul, even he was like, well, I can't even deny that. And he got saved and his whole house was baptized. And now he had a house church. So yeah, when they write to Philippi and they talk about, I think finally of you, it's that place where things got wild and God saw them through. And now there are a few little house churches in the city of Philippi that began to grow. But just like Paul and them experienced in Acts chapter 16, there's real opposition to them being there. They don't get a gathering place. No, you can't have a synagogue, a church, a gathering. No, you can't have that. You can stay in your houses. But you know what happened? God was continued, continued to be faithful. The resistance didn't subside. It wasn't like everybody received Jesus and suddenly the entire city was at their mercy. It was that people received Jesus and the enemy came harder after him. And so Paul's encouragement, it is in light of all of that that he says, he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. Paul's encouragement is that the good work that God had started in this community will be seen through all the way until Jesus comes back. See, I think it's easy in the face of all that we deal with to feel discouraged. It's real easy to get off track, to feel like God was once upon a time so close to me. But now... It doesn't even feel like he's around anymore. It's easy to feel that way. I'm not trying to shame you for feeling that way because there are many days when I wake up that I feel that way. It's real. But what Paul is doing is he's placing our protection and our security of salvation in Christ. In the face of real opponents, our protection and our security of salvation is guaranteed. In other words, no matter what it is that opposes us, no matter how hard of a hit we take, God will see it through. He hasn't lost track of us, but sometimes we lose belief in him. Where is it that you have begun to lose belief that God will see it through? Because if God, God is better than the cell signal on our phones. God did not lose track of Paul when he was in the deepest bowels of prison, nor has God lost track of you in the deepest bowels of depression. Or however difficult, 
however, with whatever level of difficulty parenthood is striking you or with whatever struggle marriage, your marriage has been. God, in all of this, no matter what red letters, red numbers are appearing in your bank account, God hasn't lost track of you. God has not lost track of precisely where you were. But silly us to turn into Jonah and forget our good theology when things get tough. God has not lost track of where we're at. God will not let us slip through the cracks. And to Paul's point, when God rescued us, God is not one of these DC superhero characters that swoop in, save the day, and swoop out. When God rescued us, that wasn't the end. When God rescued us, that was the beginning. That was a work that had begun. Which means no matter what you're facing right now, you're still in the middle of a good work. Then Paul opens up with a prayer. And like we talked about last week, his prayer is not for selfish gain. His prayer is asking for what we realize is needed to see God's will lived out in the present reality. He says, my prayer is that your love. People are throwing rocks at my window, but you want to talk about love. Okay, your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior. My goodness, give me just a couple of minutes to break that down. Paul writes to the Philippians knowing that they have found the love of Christ. Says, I know that you know that Jesus loves you and I know that you know you love him back. That's good. I know that you know that Jesus loves you and wants you to love the people in your household. And I know that you know that you love him back and you love them back. But Paul says, I want your love to grow. Which begs the question, Paul, where do you want it to go? If we already love Christ and we already love the people gathered in our houses, what more do you want from us? So much more. So much more. Paul says, I want your love to grow. He's insinuating outside of your household. He prays that their love would keep going to others outside of what's already been gathered. That their love would grow, he says, in knowledge. And a lot of us take that to mean we got to, in order to be more loved or more loving, we got to know more stuff. And that's a half truth that a lot of us fall in. See, here's the thing. Your salvation is not about your continued education. The word that he uses and that Paul adapts is epigenosis, which is a little bit different, right? He's using it in terms of you becoming more knowledgeable of 
uh, experientially or relationally. In other words, he's not saying I want you to grow in love so that you might attain more book smarts. He's saying I want you to grow in love so that you might know my people better. So that you might know people far away from me better. So that you might grow to a point where you know their heart and where they're coming from so well that you know exactly what it is that's going to meet their need. That's what he's saying. Because when your love leads you towards a person, it leads you to like really, really, really know a person. And as Latasha Morrison says, it's our stories. It's where we come from that builds bridges. So that way, when you get to really, really know a person, you know what it looks like for you to fight for their highest good. You know what it looks like to appropriately meet their needs, not the needs that you want to meet or you think they ought to have met. When your love leads you to really know a person, you're able to spiritually discern, I hear you saying this, but what is absolutely best for them in all and every circumstance. And that is what Paul in this translation calls discerning wisdom. He wants you to move from start to love and from love to discerning wisdom, knowing how to fight for the highest good of those you're around. Now, why is he saying this, you might wonder. Is there a specific? Well, I'll tell you. Philippi is a Greek city. It's a Greek city. But it's a Greek city that was colonized by Rome. And so even though it is a Greek city, it is under heavy Roman influence as one of the first acts of Caesar when Philippi was colonized to allow for Philippi to become the place where Roman soldiers retired to. So now Roman soldiers, the most devout Romans, the ones that are like hail Caesar Rome, are now settling alongside of Greeks. At the same time, it's a city that finds itself positioned in the middle of the most major trade routes in the Middle East so that even its society and its work life is diverse because they have everything from the farm life around the city to the tradesmen that are inside the city to those that are settling around and hustling along the trade routes on the side. They also have servants. They also have affluent enough Romans to own servants. And did I mention that it's a Greek city with a Roman colonization, which means both the Greek mythology and the Roman mythology that you learned coming up in middle school is evident in the city. There are statues, there are gatherings of worship for Greek gods. There are gatherings of worship for Roman gods. But you know what is strictly absent? Is any gathering or place of worship for the God. And that doesn't even begin to speak to the tension that exists within believers of This is still kind of young, a young movement. And so how much of this requires a cultural transformation into full-blown Judaism? And how much are we free in our salvation to express it the way that we want to express it? All of that to say, it's a lot going on. It's a lot going on in the city. 
a lot of social diversity in the households and in the city. In other words, it's plenty of opportunity to harbor prejudice or resentment towards any number of group of people. It's real easy. So when Paul is saying grow in love and he implies outside your household, he's telling people to get to know all the different people in the city. Don't just get to know those who are comfortable enough to come into your living room as it is. But get to know the people who outside of knowing you, your love and your invitation would probably never be welcome or invited to your living room. And as you begin to get to know people and grow in love, as we've said, you will be able to discern amidst all the loud voices and all the loud influences what is actually best. See, I, paint, I take the time to paint this picture and break this down because I don't think that this is too dissimilar from our own reality. Where it's a whole lot going on. And I don't know about you, I'm sure this is true of you too, but I'm in a lot of rooms with a lot of loud voices. I don't know if you're not in these rooms, but I would tell you, look on TV or your social media. It's a lot of loud voices all over the place pulling you or pushing you in their agenda-driven direction, right? That's just objective. Like, I'm not like, you know, it's just, it just is what it is, right? But sadly, we don't even need to look on our phones for that kind of stuff because for a lot of us, it's at our family gatherings. A lot of us are grateful to have lived through the holiday season because we're through with the holiday season. Because it's a lot of loud voices. It's a lot of loud, opinionated, biased voices in that room. Maybe it's your job. It's, a, it's at your work. It's at your job or at your school. You go to school, you go to work every day, and everybody's gathered around whatever table or whatever proverbial metaphorical water cooler talking about whatever polarizing opinion they want to talk about that day. And it ain't just politics. People legitimately out here believing that LeBron is better than Mike. It's crazy. <laughs> I know where I'm at when I say that. What's up, KT? I'm just saying. I didn't. I didn't. Yeah, there was nothing. There was absolutely nothing. Or maybe, maybe it's even closer than that. Maybe it's in your huddle. I don't know what some of y'all huddle be like. I know what my huddle's like. We color boxes. Even when you get, even when you get Christians together, Getting Christians together can sometimes be like the first Avengers movie when they all first got together. Everybody started flexing on one another and using their powers against one another because they all believed that their way of solving the evils of the universe was the best way. Ooh, we hate how good of an analogy that was, don't we? We do low-key do that, don't we? Yeah. Our culture and our world is so loud and it's so opinionated that it's so easy for us to get distracted. And I believe that us falling into the distraction is what directly contributes to the discouragement we talked about in my last point. We get distracted. We get our eyes taken away from what God has been doing and we get caught up in what evil's been doing and that's why we wonder where God is at. Because we're not looking at him no more. 
Man. Growing in love, though, is getting to know the people that are affected by the evil of this world without becoming a contributor to the evil of this world. Then being the still, level-headed, humble voice in all of the loudness that says, no, this is how we give good news to the poor. This is how we release the captives. This is how we restore sight to the blind. This is how we set free the oppressed. It's said and it's executed with still humble confidence because you can, because you're in Christ. And remember that in the midst of all the noise, we don't play for those teams. We don't play for those teams. I hate to break this to some of us, but like if, if life is an athletic contest, which is a major theme in this letter, we'll get to it. But if life is an athletic contest between two teams, we're the refs. That sucks because everybody hates the refs. The only thing these two teams agreeing on is that these dudes in stripes is dumb. We're the refs. And everybody hates the refs because the refs are placed in a contest to rule on behalf of a kingdom that is unseen in the moment. Now, you might be thinking, but pastor... Pastor, don't you ever get tired of refing all the time? No, I love getting yelled at for what people think is bad calls. Mm -mm. I love the risk of people throwing stuff at me because I brought a hard truth. I love it. It's my favorite part of my job. No, of course I get tired of it. Of course I get tired of it. And that's why I believe that Paul concludes in his prayer that we would be fulfilled he says, he says, move from discerning wisdom to the fulfillment we have in righteousness, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. His prayer is that our lives will be full, that our lives will be completed, that our lives will be satisfied by the evidence of God working in and through our lives. Our satisfaction does not come from the riches that we strive for. Our satisfaction does not come in the amount of followers we gain for whatever type of influence we put out there. Our satisfaction does not come from whatever type of food we cooking up that night. And that one's hard for me. Our satisfaction comes from the natural byproduct of what our life looks like when our life is in Christ. Joy is found in what God does in and through us. That's why Paul can have this joy even in prison. That's why Paul can have this joy even in the face of all that the city of Philippi has thrown at Jesus' body. Because joy is not found in the circumstantial. 
Joy is not found in the situation. Joy is found in what is eternal. And what is eternal is the work that God is doing in and through you. I'm going to be real with you, and then I'm going to get out your way. For a long time now, I've trusted God with my whole life. For a long time. And for a long time, I've adapted, I would say to a great extent incorrectly, the mentality of a servant of Christ. That I was almost too willing to participate in Christ's suffering. And I took on this idea so long because faith in the way that I did it, in the path that I've led, in the path that I've been a part of, faith has been so hard that I just expected suffering was always a part. And I got used to the hardness. I got used to the toxicity. I got used to how hard, how tearful, how painful it always was. But I trusted, because I'd always seen the evidence of it, that through my pain, that through my suffering, God would establish his kingdom and do something powerful. And so people look at the work that God has done and they're like, dang, you must feel so proud. And most of the time I'd be like, man, praise God and keep it pushing. But can I be real with you? I wasn't proud. I was hurt. I was in pain. I was exhausted. Because what I had realized was that even though I trusted God with my life and I trusted follow what following his will was like, I did not trust God with my joy. I trusted that God would use my life to establish his kingdom, but I did not trust that a natural byproduct of that would be me being joyful. I thought I would just always suffer. I thought this would just always be hard. And for the sake of the community, for sake of my brothers and sisters, for the sake of many of you that are looking at me in my face right now, I suffered. But this year, yeah, that's how recent this is. I'm getting real, real. This year has so far been a year of experiencing the fruit of his righteousness. That what I've found by taking hard steps over the, over the past several months to die to certain parts of myself, to die to the way that I felt like certain things should go, and trusting that not only would God work it all out, but that we would experience joy in the meantime, this year I feel like has been the year that we're finally reaping the harvest, that we're finally experiencing joy, that like even though, as we've said many times, I feel like we're in the middle of the busiest season of my life, this is like the most joyful I've felt in a long time, maybe literally ever, ever, okay, I get it, I get it, ever, my wife's like, you really gonna let yourself off the hook like that, okay, ever, Because I've seen an experience, I've caught myself the other day tempted to really tell somebody off. Who deserved it, by the way? (laughs) And I thought, nah, because the joy that I feel in my life from leaning into Christ's righteousness, the joy that has come my way by like really, really trusting that this stuff works has been way better 
than the ground that I would lose by popping off for like 10 quick seconds. Right? Joy is found in what God does in and through us. Paul writes this letter because he wants to take the church of Philippi from the starting line where a good work began to love. He wants to take them from love to discerning wisdom. He wants to take them from discerning wisdom to fulfillment. Third Street, it's a whole lot of us fighting discouragement. It's a whole lot of us looking at the mountain in front of us and being like, yeah, we might as well just camp out right here because ain't no way we getting around that one. Have I told you about the floor lately? No, listen, I don't have time. Um, it's a lot of discouraging things going on and our world is loud. Paul's encouragement to us this morning is that we fight discouragement. And that in the midst of the loud polarizing voices of our society, we grow not in resentment, not in distrust, not in prejudice or bias, but we grow in love. Because when we grow in love, we grow in discernment. And when we grow in discernment and we participate even deeper in the will of God, we find fulfillment in realizing just how much we've been looking like Jesus lately. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your joy. Because, Lord, we know that the joy that comes from our satisfaction in you is the only joy that the world can't steal from us. And God, we want more. Lord, we want to see the arrival and the evidence of your kingdom. Because this world is so mixed up and so loud sometimes. And so, God, we ask for forgiveness for the ways that we've been caught up in the distractions. We ask for forgiveness for the ways that we have not kept our eyes on you, but we've gotten caught up in what the evil powers at work are doing. And so, God, I pray that we would take a different perspective. Lord, I I pray that we would recognize that the wars that are being waged in our world are between evil and evil, and you call us to a third perspective. I pray that we would grow not in bias towards one side or the other or in full heart alignment with one side or the other, but I pray that we would grow in our love. I pray that our love would push us to deeper knowledge, relational knowledge, the kind where we like really, really know people and what they're going through. And as we get to know people that outside of your will, our paths would have never crossed. I pray that we grow in the discerning wisdom to do not what is right, not what is good, not what is helpful, but what is absolutely best. And God, we trust that in in our growth and in our following of your will, that you lead us, Lord, not into temptation. But we praise you because we will get to experience the fulfillment that comes 
when we're delivered from evil. We pray these things in Jesus' name. All who believe say, bless up.